So if you're new here today, we're walking through the book of James. And today I'm going to be preaching on James chapter 4. There's a section in the middle that I am admitting that I'm not going to touch today because I want to avoid it. But I'm going to come back to it next week. There's something right in the middle here where James says, honestly, I cannot deal with it in 20 minutes by talking about it. So next week we're going to come back to it and I'm going to dig into it. I have no idea what I'm going to do with it because it's confusing to me. But I'm going to trust that God's going to give me something out of it because I know it's here for a reason and I want to know what it is. So next week we're going to do a, a dive into the text in a very deep way. But right now, let's stand for the reading of the Word. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 and 7 through 10. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Good question. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Oh, Verse 7, submit yourselves then, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and God will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and the Lord will lift you up. Has anybody here ever been humbled? This is not being humbled. This is a conscious decision and choice we make to humble ourselves. The way not to be humbled is to humble ourselves. And the promise here is that God will lift you up. This is the reading of the Word of God, and God's people did say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Can I pray? Lord, thank you for the word that you've given us today and for the worship. And I know that you have something here for us. Help us to hear your word today that it would speak to our hearts and minds. Because we know that this message is meant for me, it's meant for us, not for somebody else. It's not meant for my wife, it's not meant for my son, it's not meant for my friends, it's meant for me, it's meant for us. Help us to take personally your word today. Allow us to hear it with a spirit of humility because we want to please you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a little Baptist church in Mayfield, Kentucky, Mayfield County, small church. And there were two deacons in the congregation that just could never get along with one another. They were always fighting. Imagine that, people in the church not getting along with one another. 
One early Sunday morning before worship began, the, one of the deacons came in and installed a peg on the back wall so that when the pastor arrived, he could take off his hat and hang it on the peg. Well, the other deacon was not consulted on the matter. He became angry, furious. When he saw the peg with the hat hanging on the peg, he went up to the other deacon and said, how dare you put a peg on the back of the sanctuary without going to the board first to get that peg approved? Well, this dispute over the peg divided the church. There were those in the church who felt that the peg desecrated the sanctuary. And then there were those who thought the peg was a way to honor the pastor. Church split right down the middle. Church split, and another church was formed, and from that day on, in Mayfield, Kentucky, one church was known as the Peg Baptist Church, and the other is the Anti-Peg Baptist Church. Yeah, true story. True everywhere. It gives me an opportunity to tell you a little bit about the founding of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. One of the founders was named Thomas Campbell. He was Scottish. He, was, uh, he studied at the University of Glasgow where he got uh, his doctorate. He was a theologian. He was brilliant. Thomas Campbell belonged to the old light anti-burger, succeeder, Presbyterian church. Now, let me tell you what that name means. Each one of those words represents a division. A division, a division, a division, a division. Peg, anti-peg, you know, all the way down. Old light was a way that they interpreted scripture. Anti-burger represented a faction of people who uh, did not believe that the mayor should have to submit or swear allegiance to the Church of Scotland. Succeeder Presbyterians were Presbyterians who did not believe that the minister should be appointed by a bishop or something like that, but they should be able to choose their own ministers. So the anti-burger, old light, Presbyterian, Succeeder Presbyterian Church was a group of people who interpreted Scripture a particular way, who didn't believe that the mayor should have to submit to the authority of the Church of Scotland, and who believed they should pick their own ministers. So he belonged to that church, and at some point he became uh, discouraged and disgusted with the sectarianism over doctrine and fighting in the church. He became so frustrated, he left Scotland and came to the United States and settled in Washington, Pennsylvania. And then he began to preach a message against creeds, and sectarian religion began to preach a message of unity and gathering all people around the Lord's table. When the word got out, the message he was preaching, uh, this Presbyterian body began then to um, sanction him and they charged him and suspended him. He then began to take this message and preach it in barns and in people's homes, and eventually a movement began to grow out of it that would become the Christian church. And they founded it on four basic principles. Uh, Campbell, Thomas Campbell, wrote something called the Declaration and Address 
of the Christian Association of Washington, Pennsylvania, founded on four principles. Every person has a right of private judgment, the ability to interpret Scripture on their own, and freedom of interpretation. The Scriptures will be the sole authority for the church. There are no creeds. Sectarian religion is evil. Argument over human doctrine should cease. Unity and peace should be restored. And four, the Bible alone is our rule. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. And Christ alone is our salvation. Now, those things are all true of how our church, we believe those things. Now, the reason I share this with you is because if I were to go up on the roof of the building today and were to look that direction, I would see Southeast Christian Church. And I were to look in that direction, I would see Douglas Hills Church of Christ. Three different denominations that all came from Thomas Campbell but who split and divided because they couldn't agree what the Bible really said. Argumentation over instrumental music and how missionaries should be funded and sent and how the church should be organized on a national level. So a movement that began in unity splintered into disunity and within three miles of each other are three distinct bodies of the same movement. Is that interesting? Yeah. So James asked this question. Why are you fighting and squabbling? Now James came at it from a very personal point of view because at that time he was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He was the brother of Jesus. And Jerusalem is always at war. In fact, within a few years of his death, Jerusalem would ignite in warfare as the Jewish people tried to revolt against Rome and everything would be destroyed in Rome and all that would be left would be the Western Wall today and they're still fighting over that geography. But the situation that James is referring to in the church was a division between Grecian Jews and Hebraic Jews who became Christians and the Greek Jews began to complain in Acts chapter 6 that their widows and orphans were being ignored and there was a fight going on in the church. And if you read all the letters of Paul and the other epistles, why were those letters written? Because of fighting and squabbles taking place in the church that they were addressing. Now all that's really interesting. But it's all up here. But let's talk about you now. This is where it gets uncomfortable, Marilyn. Because you walked in the church today, and you weren't thinking, oh, I'm so disturbed at the disunity of the Christian church in the universe. No, you walked in because you had a fight with your wife before you got here in the car. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> but we all know the pain of conflict. Not just among Christian bodies, but among ourselves. We all feel pain in our family, our relationships, with our parents, our spouses, our children, the people we work with, and on and on and on. You know, I went down to the pizza place the other day, and there was a young woman, and on her shoulder, she had a quote from a book called Looking for Alaska, and on the quote it said, the way out of the labyrinth of pain and suffering is forgiveness. And I didn't have to ask her why she put it there, because I know 
like you know. We all get embroiled in conflict and trouble in our families. And it's painful. And it hurts us. Now notice what James is not saying. He's not asking, what do we fight about? Because, well, we fight about everything, right? Uh, I went to a graduation party uh, yesterday evening with my wife, uh, early in the evening. And as we were coming home from the party, we were on the street in front of the church. And she said, I want to go to Goodwill. I said, which one? She said, the one closest to our house. And I said, you mean the one on Hurstbourne? She said, no, the one on Gene Snyder, near the Gene Snyder. I said, well, that's not as close as the one to our house. Well, I want to go to that one. And I said, well, I, I know, but that's not the closest one. And we had an argument over which one was closest. And after, I, after the first service this morning, I shared this. Somebody came and said, you're right. A husband came up and said, you're right. The one on Hurstbourne is closer. After the middle service, I went up to her and I said, you're really wrong. No, I didn't do that. No. I was fairly scorned after the conversation last night. But why was it that I would feel the need to argue over a tenth of a mile and to ruin my meal? Nobody can argue like two people have been married for 25 years. So James doesn't ask, what do we fight about? Why do we fight? And let me get down to it. This is what he says. Here's why we fight. Why Christians fight, why we fight. He says, we fight because of what's inside of us. He said there is darkness in us. There are desires in us. There are needs that we have that aren't getting met. And when we want something, we fight, and we're not getting it. If people in our life are not giving us what we want, we fight to get it. And he, said, he uses strong language. He says, you will kill and covet. The word covet there means to hotly pursue in Greek. Now, now in the world we live in, people do kill to get stuff they want. People kill over tennis shoes. Any number. But for the most of us in this room, it's hyperbole. He's saying that sometimes when you're not getting what you want in your relationships, when you're not getting what you want in your life, you will literally destroy a relationship in order to get it. Like, I was willing to ruin my Father's Day dinner to argue about which goodwill was closer. And the thing about it was, it is so, it is so in me the need to be right and to be stubborn and, and, to, and to be right with my spouse that I don't even have to think about doing it. It just comes out. And so inside all of us, all of us, we have these basic desires, the desire for significance, the desire to be happy, the desire for joy, the need to be loved, the desire to prove ourselves. We have these basic desires, and some of them are healthy desires, and some of them are unhealthy desires. And what happens is usually what we're fighting about are those things. What we do, sometimes at a deeper level, is we look to people in our life or circumstances or other groups of people in our life and we try to squeeze out of them our significance. We try to get our happiness out of another person. We try to look for somebody else to complete us. We think that the emptiness inside of us could be filled up by someone else. 
But what happens? We're never full. We're never satisfied. And people can never give us what only God can give to us. And what he's saying is, when it comes to conflict, hit the brakes. And instead of looking at what the other person is doing, look at yourself and own up to what's in you. Look at your desires. Look at who you are. Look at what you want. And his point basically is the reason you don't get what you really need and that you fight is because you're looking for the wrong person to give it to you. You don't get what you need because you don't ask God for what you need. He's saying, ask God for what you need, for your significance. Ask God for your worth. Ask God for your happiness. Don't squeeze it out of other people. He's basically saying here the principle for all relationships, whether between Christian churches or in our own relationships and healthy relationships, is Go to God to get God to fulfill you so that you'll be happy and content and adjusted to be able to be fully present to the other person or the other people in your life. Ask, who does God want me to be and how does God want me to show up in this relationship? And you know what? It will change everything. It may not change the circumstance. It may not change the other person. But you have no control sometimes over the other person, but you can... Choose who you will be. And most of the time, that will change everything around you. And he says the reason we should ask God is because, as he says in James 1.17, that God is the source of all good. Every perfect gift from above comes down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. God has no agenda. God wants nothing from you the way people do. God doesn't want to manipulate you. God just wants to give you what God wants, and it gives God pleasure to give to you good things. And he says, sometimes we don't get what we want from God because we ask for the wrong motives. Instead of asking, you know, God, what is it that you, what is it that you want from me? And sometimes we have to be okay that God will say no. There's a lot of things in my life that I've asked God for, and I'm glad God said no. How about you? It's a good thing God doesn't give us everything that we want. So in this, in this there's a verse then, Proverbs, that says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him. And he will make your path straight. And the principle here is this, in James and in the Psalms and throughout Scripture is this, that, actually that was Proverbs, is that if you will move toward God, God will move toward you. I lifted these phrases out of the book of James. This is how God moves toward us. God gives us more grace. God gives grace to the humble. God will come near to you if you come near to God. If you start moving toward God, God will move toward you. God, God will lift you up now in verses 7 through 10 he talks about how we move toward God submit surrender here I am resist the devil whatever that means to you meaning 
the forces in you, the, the, the impulses in you that are unholy, that pull you in the wrong direction. Submit to God, resist the devil, come near to God, wash your hands, purify your hearts, grieve and mourn and feel sorrow for your sins and for how you have wrecked the relationships in your life trying to be right. And then he says, just humble yourself. Just humble yourself before me. I don't know what I need, but I know I need you. I don't always know what to do, but I know that you know what's best for me. Humble yourself. Two applications. So with regard to churches, this is the word that I hear. That we do the world no favors when we continue to play the divisive sectarian religion game. The world is divided and filled with enough hate for Christians to continue to add to it. And we need to look at our brothers and sisters and other churches and celebrate who they are and the good that they do and not worry about them believing what we believe. One of the founding principles of the Christian church movement, the restoration movement, was we are only Christians. We're not the only Christians. And think of how much good the world would do if everybody in different churches just began to say, instead of saying, instead of arguing over theology or fighting over what, how we're supposed to respond to culture, if we just started saying, you know, I'm just, I'm just, God, we just want to serve you and love you. We just want you to tell us how to serve and love and had a practice of love as opposed to a doctrine. You know what we could do in the world? That's why Jesus said that a divided house can't stand. That's why Jesus prayed that the church would be one. That's why, that's why Jesus said they will know you are my disciples by your love, not by your peg on the wall or your not peg. Second application. Who are you going to be in your relationships? If you're, every place you go and every relationship you're in, you're always having trouble with other people, I want to ask you, what's the common denominator in that situation? By the way, never say that to your spouse. <laughs> but if you don't like your boss in your present job, and you didn't like your boss in your last job, you're not going to like your boss in your new job. Could it be that maybe you need to accept responsibility for how you're showing up where you work? We may not, our families may never get it all together. But if we, if we will humble ourselves and just ask God, who do you want me to be? Accept responsibility for our part in it and just accept responsibility and ask God to use it to make us and to create us into the people that he wants us to be. It will change everything around you. And let me just say something to you. If you're married or you've ever been married or you're thinking about get, getting married ever, let me add this. It's a powerful thing, a powerful thing when two married people both surrender themselves to God in the marriage. And they're not concerned about getting their spouse to meet their needs, but they're asking God to meet their needs. 
And if you've got two people saying, God, what do you want me to know? God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve my spouse? I'm surrendering my life to you. And when you have two people in a relationship surrendering themselves to each other, there will still be conflict, but all obstacles can be overcome. And a lot of times, you know, relationships end for a lot of different reasons. But sometimes they end because, because people don't ask, God, what do you want? And if two people are asking that are going before God, I really believe that a lot of things can be healed. Sometimes people separate, and it's painful, and it's difficult, and I know. I know that. But if two people in a relationship or a friendship and have surrendered themselves to God and have humbled, if, if you humble, if two people humble themselves, God can restore and heal anything. And I know this, if we move toward God, God will move toward us. God will never turn away from you. God will never move away from you. God's movement toward you is always with open arms and open hands.